0: Well, welcome home, church. It's good to see you. We have some visitors here today, and we're just always thrilled to show it off and let people uh, see what we see every, every week. And I've got to say that you brought your voices with you, because the singing was great. It's good to hear you. You're lovely. Well, part three, and please remember how this works now. Um, we're doing an intensive look. So we have seven sermons, and there's actually an eighth one, which isn't in the series, but kind of puts a bow on it. Uh, and for three Monday mornings, we are skipping our usual routine that we've been in for years, breaking it up temporarily just for three weeks with long-form videos, an uh, hour and a half this last week, an hour and a half this week, and an hour the next. Uh, we know that some people can't listen that long. Other people love the longer ones, and so... My job is to disappoint everybody equally, and I hope that I'm pulling that off. We've gotten a lot of emails, because you do, uh, when you start poking things and making hamburgers out of sacred cows. But be aware, if you, if you run across something and you're going, oh, oh, I'm not sure about this, let me unroll the argument before you try to answer it. It kind of helps to know where we are going and the why. But if you just can't help yourself, go ahead and fire off the emails. We've also gotten more emails saying thank you, thank you, thank you than we normally do. And that's also nice. We're going to talk about a God who bends in love. As we look in this into the heart of God. Whenever a minister mentions love, everybody thinks of 1 Corinthians 13. And for good reason. It's really the best passage in scripture where we get a concentrated definition of love. Agape love. If you're not a church person, agape is a particular Greek word for love used in that passage and used to describe the unconditional love of God. But there is a word that is not mentioned in that passage. And it's a word which is integral to to love and must be present in any loving relationship. When you love someone you no longer get your way all of the time. When you love someone, you have to bend. Now, my wife is an interior designer, and so we are contractually obligated to watch a certain number of HGTV shows. And so we do. And and the ones that she uh, watches with me are the international ones, so that we can judge mercilessly as people make the wrong decision. But... We, we do enjoy that, and this, the jokes are always the same. It's always, if you're an American of a certain age, they're always green acres. You know, I want to be in the city, I want to be in the farm. I wanna, it's always the same formula. But someone will say somewhere down there, well, you're know, happy wife, happy life. Now, we all know that that's kind of funny and kind of true. But if the wife always has to get her way, it's not a loving relationship. If the husband always has to get his way. It's not a loving relationship. We all know that. And when we speak of God. Sometimes we have a hard time. Adding the word bend to God. Because we will use other words. Which are church words. That you don't hear often outside of church. Like immutable. Which certainly sounds right. In James chapter 1 and 17. We're told that in God there is no variance. And no shadow of turning. And the phrase there. Uh, It describes what happens as the sun courses across the sky and the shadows shift upon the land, but also upon sundials. And so those changing shadows, James says, God is not like that. In fact, that's not alone. That's not the only passage. In Malachi chapter 3 and verse 6, he says, I am the Lord, I do not change. Well, that sounds rather final, doesn't it? Or how about this? Numbers twenty-three and verse nineteen, just in case you're not up on your numbers, uh, haven't read it recently, Numbers twenty-three nineteen. This sounds as if we've nailed the God never changes anything to the to the door of the church. God is not a man that he should lie, nor a son of man that he should change his mind. Does he speak and then not act? Does he promise and not fulfill? Wow, that seems rather solid. No wiggle room there, is there? Until you remember, as we often tell you, that a text without a context is a pretext. Until you realize these words were given to us by the prophets in a story, and we need to look at that space, time, and story to know what is being said. Numbers? Sounds like God is being just right hard on this, except God didn't say those words. Those words came from Balaam. But I've heard in sermons all my life, God said, and they will state that. And I'm going, that was Balaam, a guy that lost an argument with a donkey. <laughs> you, you, need, you need to check your source. He was a prophet by hire. And by the way, he was so famous. We have records of him in history outside of scripture. That he was a famous prophet for hire con man guy. God's promising and Malachi when he says, I'm not going to change my mind that he has not forsaken them and he will always love them even though he is about to go silent in scripture writing for about 400 years they're going to suffer they're going to feel abandoned they're going to constantly change their minds about him but he's saying during this time I will not change my mind about you so it's not about being rigid it's about being faithful So what does it mean to say that God does not change? Is he a rigid, closed-minded dictator? He might be, um, because I have been told in the sermons of my youth that he was unmoving and unmovable. Now those of you that have studied theology will know where that came from, but unmoving and unmovable. No, that's not correct. If God was unmovable, why would you pray? For what possible reason would you pray? Why would you want to do better if God is unmovable? Why would you worry when you've not done well if God's unmovable? The Bible pictures God, like it or not, as constantly changing plans. Moving here or there as necessary. He is, in a word, flexible. God is flexible. And it's in the scripture, it coats scripture, but if you've not been trained to look for it, you don't see it. That's, that's always true. Stories told a long time ago, this, and by the way, it's probably a preacher story, just sounds like one to me, that uh, two men were walking along the sidewalk, and Canada and other English speaking countries, walking along the pavement, when he said, oh, that bird, that was just such a beautiful bird song, and the guy looked at him and he said, I didn't hear a bird, how did you hear a bird? I hear traffic sounds. I hear shout sounds from the shops. How did you hear a bird? And a man pulls out some coins. And back during that time, they had some pretty big coins in Britain. And he dropped it. And when the coins hit the pavement, people stopped and turned. And he said, you hear what you're trained to hear. You also see what you're trained to see. When a plan does not work in Scripture, because of a failure of mankind as a whole... Or as a group, or a failure of an individual, God changes his plan and moves in a different way. And sometimes a plan breaks apart and a heavenly drawing board is brought right out to change again. Genesis 6 6 says, God said, I am sorry I ever made man. Calvinists go through so many hoops on these passages, by the way. And here's just a general, just a general concept if you have to go through hoops why would you hold on to that doctrine aren't there other things you can do you know it don't make if your solution to a problem causes more problems stop it's rather like those commercials there's there's one now in america by the way those of you that are watching from outside america it is rather bizarre because They can advertise prescription drugs that you cannot go get. And they advertise them heavily. And you're supposed to go to your doctor and annoy the doctor. So that he will give them to you. But because it is America and it's all based upon commerce. As they show you the people happily going to parties, playing tennis, doing mountain biking. It'll start reading off the side effects. And they are horrific. I mean absolutely horrific. There is a current commercial for a medication for people in depression. Depression is a real serious disease issue. It is absolutely serious. But the commercial just, I would say drives me crazy. But to be honest, that's more of a putt, not a drive. So I I just, I I get upset because one of the side effects is suicidal ideations. Just another way of saying, you might want to kill yourself. And two, death. And they say it really quick over the happy, happy pictures. Um, that's not a side effect. That's a terminal effect. Um, if you solve a problem by causing more problems, you have not solved a problem. In First Samuel fifteen thirty-five, God said He was sorry He'd ever made King uh, Saul king over Israel. God declared that Nineveh would fall in forty days sent Jonah to deliver that message. Jonah was cool with that, by the way. He hated preaching and hated Nineveh. So he didn't even try. His entire sermon was, 40 days and Nineveh shall fall. That was it. I don't think there's an invitation song. Probably not even a collection. Uh, And he walked away and moped. Once the city heard the message, they repented. So God removed the punishment. Even though Jonah had had to go into a whale for a while. It was like, hey Jonah... It seems that trip wasn't necessary. They've repented now. Jonah gets upset. And Jonah said, "I, Jonah 4.2, I knew. Look at this accusation. That you're a gracious and compassionate God. Slow to anger, abounding in love. A God who, big words here, relents from sending calamity. You cannot relent from something unless you have determined to do something. And God changed his mind because they repented. Even though he said it was going to happen, now it's not. In Exodus 32, God became very angry with Israel when they tossed him aside for a more convenient, compact, visible, understandable God, a calf. And you and I um, don't get that, but that's because we're not a nomadic people that rely upon cattle for food, drink, life, health, everything. And so, in fact, they weren't trying to say we worship cows. Aaron said, this is Yahweh who brought you out of Egypt. In other words, in a representation. God got so angry. He told Moses, I'm going to destroy Israel and raise up a new nation through you. Now that's going to take a long time. But that should indicate to you the patience of God. That when one plan fails, he's quite willing to work a few hundred years to get to plan B. He's got the time. He doesn't panic. Well, Moses says in, in chapter 32, verse 12, turn your heart from your fierce anger. Relent. There's that word again. And do not bring this disaster upon your people. And because of that, chapter Exodus again, 32, verse 14, the Lord relented and did not bring upon his people the disaster he had threatened. You bend in love. The standard answer of those that believe that God has a plan, a single plan that is unchangeable because he is unchangeable, is that God didn't change, the circumstances did. And I'm looking at them going, there's a word called tautology, you might want to look up, but there are racionistic, you know, I'm sorry, casuistic, ratiocination. there are a whole bunch of logical things that you just broke, and I hope it didn't hurt, I've read their books, and this is something which, if you're sending me emails going, "Will this Bible verse shoot you down. I, I, I've read the book a lot. I've read the Institutes of Christian Religion, and I've not yet met more than a handful of Calvinists who have. I've read the works of J.I. Packer, respected man, and he's in heaven, so is Calvin. Uh, John Piper, I've read his works too, even though I cringe about every third page. So I've read them. But they never deal with these passages honestly. They just don't. Remember, it's got to fit scripture. It's got to fit your experience. It also has to reconcile faith and science. We're going to talk about that in a bit. I'm giddy with anticipation. Some of you are not. Hang in there. It won't hurt much. In Exodus 32 and in many other places, it absolutely says God changed his mind because of what his people asked. Wow. Flexibility is a huge factor in mental health. We know that, don't we? Now, if you have a bit of OCD, which a lot of people do, it's not a problem. If you have a lot, it's a huge problem. My wife is very detailed. She says that it should be CDO because that's alphabetical, but... She doesn't have OCD. She is actually just somebody who likes order and beauty. And so she places things that way. She doesn't have to go back to the house three times to check the oven. and to, you know, Because OCD is a real condition. She doesn't have that. But we kid about people having it when they just have standards, I think. But here's the thing. When you love somebody, you are flexible. Now, I brought up what was it last week week before that we have a dust truffle so we're prepared for ruffling that might be necessary we also have a different pillow layout for the seasons because I don't know (laughs) I do know that when I notice it changes I take a picture on my phone because there will be a test Uh, and and so I, I take care of that now if I didn't put the pillows back, would she get angry and yell at me? No, because that's not healthy and that's not love. But if I just threw pillows around the room and stormed out, that's not healthy and that's not love. You see, flexibility is a sign of mental health. You don't always get what you want. Are you able to deal with what is? Also, flexibility is huge in love, absolutely huge in love going to be very careful here, and one of the things people have said that they like about the sermons is that I don't do things that they had to rush the kids out of the room, and so you don't have to, just going to put it this way, when God designed men and God designed women, men have their sexual prime very, very early in their life, Uh, it's in the 20s, sorry, you've missed it, it's gone, wave goodbye. For in in women, the sexual prime is much more elastic. It'll hit somewhere in the 40s and 50s and 60s. It's, why would God do that? Oh, not done. God God made men microwaves and women crockpots. I think it's because God designed love and relationships to always be bargaining and flexible. Always a dance. And that's the way he does with us. Think of... Think of the encounter of angels with Abraham, known as Abram at the time, outside of his tents before they moved to Sodom in Genesis 18. As two of the angels leave to head towards Sodom, one of the visitors is is revealed as Yahweh, the Son of God. And he says in, in chapter 18, verses 20 and 21, very fascinating passage, by the way, especially if you think God has known all future things and has it all sorted. He says, the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is so great and their sin so grievous that I will go down to see if what they have done is as bad as the outcry that has reached me. And didn't come from Balaam, that's the lips of God. There's room for mystery, is there not? There is room for things to change. Let that soak in about God, uh, God was moving angels about the planet to gather news and report back. And Jesus was involved somehow in Abraham's time and before Genesis 1:27. let us make man in our image and after our likeness. So Abraham then decides to plead for the city and to negotiate. And he gives a starting bid of 50. And bids God all the way down to 10. And God never in there goes, who are you to bargain with God? I was always told when I was a boy, we never bargain with God. And then I read the Old Testament. I went, have you read this? To be honest though, most of our Bibles in our churches didn't have the Old Testament. It had the New Testament and sometimes Psalms and maps. That was about it. You read the Old Testament, yeah, you can bargain with God. You know why? Because he will bargain back. Because he bends in love. We have a great many of these incidents to discuss in the weeks to come. But we're going to take on a really huge one right now. That's going to rattle some cages. But before we do. We need to look at a box. So I don't use props. But I got to use props today. Alright. Here we go. This is, And I, I spared no expense. <laughs> I incurred. No expense. Um, got this out of this recycling bin last night. This is a box. You've heard about this. This is just a brief look at reality and what God knows. Most of us have had at least one semester in, in science class where they introduced you to physics. Don't worry, this will not hurt. In fact, I think you're going to like it. If you went on to have a few more classes and you went to quantum physics, this is not that fun. It is a real hoot. Maybe you listened to some of the, the lectures of Richard Feynman. And if you've not heard those, even if you don't like physics, it is so entertaining, you ought to at least listen to one of them. Feynman is not spelled how you think. It's F-E-Y-N-M-A-N. Or maybe you've read a science fiction book where quantum physics was used or misused. If so, you've heard of something called Schrodinger's Cat. Yeah here we go, and what you heard about it was wrong, <laughs> so here we go, you've heard that there's a box, and there's a cat in here, and it is both alive and dead until we open the box, and when we see of the possibilities what it is, then that collapses to this one, no, it's more complicated, the box, is it, is, is the cat alive, is it dead, is it a cat, what color cat? Is it a marble? Is it a rock? Is it 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 can be anything in this box? Can be anything. That's the point. This is unlimited possibilities. Courteous, courtesy of J. Jill. This is unlimited possibilities here. It is absolutely a wonder and a joy. So Now, going over here. I feel like one of those cheesy politicians that brings out these things. I'm not a politician, but I might be cheesy. (laughs) The box, that's now. The very millisecond of now. The singularity, the collapse of all possibilities. This is history. History exists of things that happened not of possibilities, it doesn't exist of impossibilities, or things that could have happened, it just happened, but the box on top of it is infinite possibilities, you never know what is going to happen when you open the box, I may grab it again, here, it's like buying a lottery ticket, you can buy a lottery ticket, and I know some of you are going, oh, Christians don't do that, really? There are a lot of them lining up, you know. So, um, you you buy a lottery ticket. What are you doing? You are buying a box, because until the drawing, whether it's Saturday, Sunday, whenever it is, you're it's possible you're a millionaire. Whether you're playing the the numbers in in Ireland, or whether you're uh, playing the numbers on the street in Harlem, or whether you're buying a, a, a scratch off, whatever it is, you're buying the possibility that when you open the box, you're a millionaire. And so for a few days, you walk around. For $5, you bought your opportunity, or two, whatever it is, you bought your opportunity to walk around thinking, if I had all that money, Lord, I would give it to the poor, I, I need a Lamborghini to get to them quickly because they're hungry. Speed matters. But I would buy it unselfishly. You know, and that's the thing. You have all of those possibilities. That's why when you're on a date, a first date, all of these possibilities. are. And, and a lot of women will tell you, on the first date, a lot of collapsing occurs of reality. When the box is finally opened and they go, ah, oh, it's a dead cat. Uh, and that's, that's not... It's not what I want. When they scan your ticket at the lottery place, you either want a lot, a bet, or, like tens of millions, nothing. Every moment of every day, trillions upon trillions upon trillions of possible actions, interactions of animals, weather, people, bits and bobs. And when the present arrives, it opens and everything collapses into a singularity. One line. But here... It is uncountable, the possibilities. Now, to solve some issues in physics with the standard relativity model, uh, and certainly with Newtonian physics, some people have posited that there are an infinite number of universes. There is no evidence for that. And that is a solution that causes too many problems. And so people are working, tweaking. My response is, yes there are an infinite number of universes but they have not occurred. Because when we open the box, all of a sudden, all we have is what we've always had. The past and the present. And where will it go next? Now God, being God, can determine people and things in the future. But when people ask me if God knows the future, I always smile and say, you cannot know What does not exist for example how much does God know about the Ferrari I I like cars if you kind of pick anyway um, I could uh, not only do I never will never have the money to own one at my age I couldn't get out and that would be really embarrassing uh, at that stage to have to get out on all fours and crawl around the side so uh, Cammy's even said we could install a lift in the garage I'm going I'm, I'm not sure that that's anyway All of those future possibilities, God has some determined things, such as a child will be born in Bethlehem of Judea. He will die on the cross. Or that Cyrus was going to come and uh, overthrow Nebuchadnezzar. But sometimes it's not a straight line getting there, because we are all over the map, and he guides us until his will is done but all this other stuff that's negotiable absolutely negotiable those who hold to a single plan before creation your God is too small our God is big enough to deal with infinite possibilities every single second and he does so in love and that is staggering and wonderful and beautiful and that's the singularity you want that God bends toward love. Well, again, here's an illustration of how that works. In uh, 2 Samuel, once again, Old Testament, very handy to have for a lot of reasons. And 2 Samuel chapter 7, verses 15 and 16. But my love, talking about to David, God's promise to David, and we're really just pulling things right out from the middle of it. But my love will never be taken away from him as I took it away from Saul, whom I removed from before you. Your house and your kingdom will endure forever before me. Your throne will be established forever. The words of the prophet Nathan speaking the words of God to to David. Sounds very ironclad, doesn't it? You see any wiggle room there? Well, let's go over to 1 Kings chapter 2 verses 1 through 4, always nice to read the book, <laughs> I'm going to take a little time here because I got sticky, I don't know what I was eating when I wrote this, uh, 1 Kings chapter 2, starting one, uh, verse 1, when the time drew near for David to die, he gave a charge to Solomon his son, I'm about to go the way of all the earth, he said, so be strong, act like a man and observe what the Lord your God requires. Walk in obedience to him and keep his decrees and commands and laws and regulations as written in the law of Moses. Do this so that you may prosper in all you do and wherever you go, that the Lord may keep his promise to me. If your descendants, and this is his quoting God, if your, if your descendants watch how they live, and if they walk faithfully before me with all their heart and soul, you will never fail to have a successor on the throne Of Israel. If God planned all of these things beforehand, how would we get to this with ifs and possibilities, conditions? And then in 1 Corinthians, I'm sorry, First Kings chapter 8, verse 25. Now, Lord the God of Israel, keep for your servant David, my father, the promises you made. Why would you have to ask God to keep the promises? Well, because they're conditional and things change. Keep the promises you've made to him and you said, you will never fail to have a successor to sit before me on the throne of Israel if only your descendants are careful in all they do to walk faithfully before me as you have done. The whole line of David lasted just a few generations. And the throne of Israel we'll never have a successor from David on it, an earthly throne in an earthly kingdom because things changed. And David and Solomon, Rehoboam, all the way up through Josiah, uh, all of Hezekiah, they did not walk faithfully and that line was removed, the throne was gone. God made it very plain that his commitment to David's line was Conditional. His love was not. God's love is unconditional, but that does not mean that he will continue to bless our plans if we do not hold up our end of the bargain. I was in that room at that meeting with our brother Eric, and one of the things we all confessed because we we're talking about our safe harbor and what we could do better and what we should not do and how we might need to change this, we all admitted we have no idea what God is doing. We just want To ride whatever wave he is sending through. And whatever changes that requires. We want want to make those. As God's will directs us. David and his sons did not hold up their end of the bargain. And we cannot reestablish the line of David. That is lost to us. But God is never lost to us. He still found a way to bring Jesus to earth. At the right time at the right place because he determined and he moves enough to move us to those points but the amount of freedom between those points is staggering limits on god's knowledge in a sense but not really as i've always said god knows all things but what we know from science is the future is not a thing it does not exist the fast, the, the furthest you will ever be is in the box of possibilities And most people never even experience that. They never get to experience their life because they're so concerned about the future and they keep looking in their past that the present slips by and they don't realize it. And they die before they ever live. But this moment is a box. Open it. And yes, some of the things that you wanted are going to collapse and they're not going to be there. But other things will be there. And as soon as they are, God knows them and God is prepared for them. He knows he will always love us. He knows his son bought our redemption and he knows that he will never, never, never forsake us. I'm good with that. I've, I know some songs we'll talk about. I know who holds the future and I'm not opposed to those songs. I understand the concept. I trust that whenever we reach the next box, there is no future, it, the present is as far as time goes. But we call that the future. Whenever we reach wherever we are, when we open the box, we will not be without God. We will not be without His love. And I get very good news for you. It doesn't matter if you're still on God's plan A for your life or plan double Z.8. He is still there. He still loves you. He's still working with you. And that never changes. We count on that. We count for his great wisdom and power to be ready for whatever happens next. And he is ready. And that he will love us. And we even have a word for that. Grace. Abundant grace. We're told by Paul, it is grace so much that you can't even measure it because it keeps overflowing even if you've tamped it down. I believe that because I've experienced that in my own life. Have not you? Have you experienced disappointments and pain? Yes. Some of them self-inflicted? Yes. Some of them not. But from nature, disease, weather, war, yeah. But when that box opened, you were not alone. Jesus even put it this way once. He said, a bird will not fall to the earth without the Father. Some people can't translate that. And so they just can't deal with it. And so when they translate their Bible without the Father's will, without the Father's knowledge, it doesn't mean that. It means God will not let a bird die alone. God is with us.